Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Hello and welcome into the first Fizz 5 of 2024. I'm Tyler Aiken with Adam Gotkin today to break down everything and anything Syracuse sports. Adam, how's your new year going? It's going great. You know, I've really taken this time away from school to get into playing a lot more NCAA football 14. And I've got a really good dynasty going right now, so... Which team you know, that, that a lot of Syracuse sports. Uh, I, I'm building up right now, so I'm an offensive coordinator right now. I'm with Georgia. We're okay. actually playing Syracuse right now, but you know I'm working my way up, and then I'll get a head coaching job. But it, it's a it's a fun game. I, I know John Eads used to do a Syracuse NCAA football 14 on Fizz. I think during COVID he, he would simulate. So way back yeah. in the day, he would. My my main interest with the NCAA games was the mascot battles. I think that was always. Oh, yeah. That was the most fun getting to tackle Stanford tree. Yeah. Yeah. The tree. Yeah, the tree. Uh, that's a good mascot. The blue devils was a good mascot this week. Duke took down Syracuse. That brings us step to topic. Number one, number one, Duke 86 Syracuse 66, a dominant win down at Cameron indoor stadium. Probably not too surprising for Syracuse fans, but with a two point game at halftime, I think there was a little bit of an expectation that it would stay closer, Adam. There was, but also Duke was playing awful in the first half. I mean, Duke didn't make a single three-pointer in the first half, and yet Syracuse still couldn't take the lead. So I feel like you had to imagine at some point in the second half, I don't think I was expecting Duke to go off the way that they did. I mean, what, starting off seven for eight from deep? I don't think anyone was really expecting that, but at least, you know, kind of a, a regression or a progression to the mean, you could say, I guess, in, in this sense of they went over in the first half. They're going to at least start making some three-pointers in the second half. So Syracuse has to start playing better. And that just by, by no means was the case in the second half. was just rough at times. And really, you got to see how young this team is. Uh, you, you definitely saw some of that immaturity that, Coach Autry was talking about after the Niagara game, which is fun, funny because just a few days before that, he was praising the maturity of the team against Oregon. I think that's the whole thing with immaturity is that you can be good and you can play well at times, but it's just not consistent yet. And consistency was certainly the issue in this game. I mean, Judah Mintz did what he always does, put up six assists, 18 points, but star of the show, Malik Brown, a career high 26. I thought he might drop 30 at one point. Other than that, nobody broke into double digits. Quidier Copeland had a quieter game after going on his little stretch. Chris Bell and Justin Taylor. I I don't know if they've been seen since November. Has anybody seen them? I, I certainly haven't. Yeah, you, you know, at, at the start of the season, it was all Chris Bell. It was he was making six three pointers a game. He was scoring twenty points. It was all Chris Bell, and now it just, especially in in the Duke game, I, it was a Chris Bell that I almost haven't seen before. Where he, out of everyone, was really starting to show show some immaturity, kind of going back and forth with people in the crowd, and it kind of reminded me that this is a young team. It can be hard to realize sometimes because these are all players that as fans, you know, you're familiar with. These are players who have been in the program 
for now two years in, in most cases. These are not new faces, but these are still sophomores. College basketball now is a game that, in a lot of senses, is dominated by grad students, by seniors. This is the team that's really all sophomores plus, you know, Naheem McLeod sometimes and Benny Williams, who has struggled a lot with some off-the-court stuff this year. So I think, if anything, this game just reminded me, this is a young basketball team. This is a team full of sophomores, full of guys who are still trying to find their footing with a first-year head coach who doesn't have the full experience of trying to gel a team together. And you know, I, I think that we all kind of saw it come to fruition against Duke. Absolutely. I mean, as a Syracuse fan, you can't be too upset. I mean, Duke lost a fluky game to Georgia Tech earlier in the season. Totally fair. But it's still Duke, still a top 15 team in the country. Syracuse hasn't lost a game It's it should have won yet. Like, Syracuse doesn't no. have a bad loss. Duke was not a bad loss. Like, I don't think people should be too dis- – like, it, did your mindset change at all before – to after this game it shouldn't have right um i, I don't think it, it it would have changed if they won correct i but mean like, if this they is won, still the same team that just won five games in a row against mid-tier teams I, I do think that the fact that it was a 20 point game at the end of the day maybe gets me a little bit more negative on what the peak can be of this team and and it, it makes me start to worry if this team can actually be consistent like they were over the last five games, but at, at you know, at the same time, it, it kind of just got away from them in the end, and, and it was a two point game at half. So I, I'm I'm pretty much in the same spot. I, I do wish it was you know closer to a maybe a ten point game, and Syracuse covered the spread. I mean, Syracuse was what fourteen and a half point underdogs going in. Yeah. So, so to be a two point game at halftime really was a shock to a lot of people. It was, but like you mentioned, Kyle Filipowski not scoring a single point and the team going over over nine on threes. I mean, like, it's going to be a close game if you're playing that poorly. It's not that surprising that it wasn't a close game. You wish that it was, but you know, if you look at the stretch going forward for Syracuse, there's a lot of chances to rebound. You know, you're not up next going to play another top 20 team in the country, so. It's not the end of the world that you lose to Duke. Well, speaking of top 20, top 25 ranked teams, Syracuse women's basketball moved into the top 25 this week, and then immediately after that, followed it up with a loss. That's topic number two. Number two. Syracuse women's basketball gets blown out 75-51 to an unranked North Carolina team just days after being pushed into the AP top 25 poll. I mean, what a what a just punch to the gut. You finally get ranked for the first time in the FLJ era, and then just team disappears, goes AWOL. Oh, oh, I feel like you're discrediting North Carolina a lot by saying this is a UNC team that was ranked last week and did nothing but win. In no world should they have really dropped. I mean, look, look through a UNC season. 24-point game, though. It was, but this is the UNC team that has played UConn and lost. They lost by single digits against South Carolina. They lost by single digits against a top 20 team in Kansas State. And, okay, they lost by one to FGCU, but FGCU is a tournament team every single year, and they're always good. So, you know, yes, this is a bad loss, but also this is a North Carolina team that 
by every means should be ranked. I mean, losing by 12 points to UConn and by seven to South Carolina and you're not ranked is absurd to me. So I, I'm right there with you. A road game too. A loss is so understandable. That would be, it would be one thing if it was just a loss. But a 24-point loss, giving up the first triple-double in North Carolina's history? If anything, I honestly think it, it it could be a good thing that they lost by this much. Really? It's a, real, it's a reality check, and I think, honestly, this team might have needed it because you beat Notre Dame without multiple starters. So, you know, that win, not as good as it might have looked. And a reality check, I think, can help this team because, because, look, they're good. Don't get me wrong. This is this is a good team. But this is a team that is not as – it still has a lot of holes and there's a lot of pieces in it where you say there needs to be improvement here. You know, yes, you have a good starting five, but you still have George Woolley shooting 20% from the three-point line. And if this team wants to be where it wants to be – she has to be a lot better, and she went over six against North Carolina. That's and that's was just that's the that's what it comes down to. I mean, Deja Fair always going to be consistent, but up seventeen. I think Alyssa Latham is the second most consistent player on this team. She put up a double double or close to it. Yeah, eleven points, eleven rebounds. And Georgia yeah, Woolley, Georgia Woolley is issue number one for me because she has been somewhat inconsistent this year, and when she disappears, the offense really takes a hit. But my other issue with this team is defense inside because Syracuse let up 11 points in the paint before the first media timeout. It was, if you were, it was a really ugly start to the game. Maria Gakden scored 11 points in just a few minutes. And her teammate, Usby, Alyssa Usby, got 16 rebounds over Kyra Wood. Well, I mean, the whole thing at the beginning of the season was you brought in Isabel Parajau, and she was supposed to be that piece down low, and now she hasn't played. Well, it, she's not available to play, is what? Yeah, what I, I know. Been yeah. We've been but, told she's not available, but I think that's where the big hole is. And it, when you would talk to the team earlier in the season, they would say, you know, I think in the games we're just starting to scratch the surface of what she can be, and so you know the team was saying we're expecting her to really be something. And now that she's not even playing at all, you're not seeing any progression. You're seeing it get worse down low. Well, because I think Verizon was supposed to be a starter. I think she was, she started to, to begin the year, but I wasn't very impressed yeah. with what I saw from her offensively or defensively. She played for four years at Michigan. Her best season was her freshman year, and it's yeah, but you, since then. you can't leave out how the whole COVID and how she wasn't let back in the that was a, that's a much yes. longer story than understood. Just, oh, her but best year was on court product to start the year wasn't phenomenal. Kyra Wood is probably who I think is the best interior player on the team. wasn't impressive, and Sanaya Wilson played like seventeen minutes. Sanaya Wilson played most of the minutes down low. And she wasn't all that impressive either. So like, no, there's yeah. there's really no option down low until Verjao comes back and proves that she's a starting level center. The other issue is that when there's not production from your Georgia Woolies and your Elena Rices, I, I think we saw this a lot. You, you know, you say Deja Fair is always going to be consistent. I was really frustrated with how she played because it was almost that Judah Mincero ball sometimes just jacking up a three, forcing up a shot, 
but and would you rather at times she has to, to do that. you went one for ten like she that's true but at the same time it's you know I, I feel like this team is deep enough where I feel like I would have wanted to see you know Kennedy Perkins get more involved on the offensive end she took one shot in 14 minutes and you went when something isn't working you got to try something else and that something else can't just be Asia Fair forcing up shots. And when you're a top 25 team, you're going to have to be able to win games in multiple ways. And oh. this team needs to prove that it can win games in ways other than, you know, Asia Fair scoring 30 points, Alyssa Latham scoring 20, and you'll find enough from your other players. They need games where someone else can really step up and it's not fair scoring 20 and, and win it. I, I would much rather asia fair chuck up shots then you're saying give kevin kennedy perkins the ball she hasn't scored more than five points all season like that's not just changing things up that's asking someone to do something that they're not that's so you gotta find it. something else you, you have to find something else that can be productive no i think you just you need to ask your consistent who should be your consistent producers to actually produce more you need to ask them to execute better you don't just ask players off the bench that that's not their role to do something they're not you say hey georgia woolley step up and hit your shots you don't say kennedy perkins you need to pick up the scoring load but but at what point is georgia woolley shooting 20 percent from three throughout the entire season and you have to look somewhere else because we've seen georgia woolley now for i mean what she first played against maryland over about a month and a half ago and at first, it was she was returning from injury. It's going to take a while for her to get back into this game. But, I mean, if you compare Georgia Woolley now to how she ended last season, I mean, she was incredible at the end of last season in the WNIT. She was she was one of this team's best players. She was the team's second-best player, no question. And I, I and you don't think at the end of the year, I mean, against Yale. Oh, I thought you were talking about like 30 this points. Year. I thought we were getting No, it. no, last year. She was, she was the number two player. And now she is three or four. She's behind Latham for sure. She and, is. And at times it feels like there's like Elena Rice will play a better game than her. We haven't seen Georgia Woolley truly be the number two yet this year. I di- I disagree that we haven't seen it this year. I mean, here's the thing: she she's averaging 14 points. She only has two games where she only put up single digits. She's put up 23, 22, 21. 19 17 like she's had a bunch of good games even without it's, the three well but she's been inefficient she she's shooting the ball about 36 percent from the field and 21 percent from three so once that comes up it's going to be even better it like, will but but the inefficiency the expectation really could be that she needs to get better but i'm not worried that she's there's no way she shoots 20 percent on threes this whole season there's no but way what i'm saying is we're already a month and a half in she did Can you just continue she to say, oh, it's going to get better. Though. It's going to get better. It will she shot out the first couple of games, but she's been flying. She played 38 minutes against Maryland, and she's played 30 minutes every game up until UNC since Maryland, which was a month and a half ago. I think it'll get better. I, I don't have a great reason for you. I, I just think it'll get better. All right. you know what sometimes you just gotta believe i guess here's the thing adam sometimes things randomly get better out of nowhere kind of like the syracuse football team 
it was really bad for eight years in a row. And then all of a sudden a new coach comes in and things change in a snap. There are two more additions to that football team. That brings us to topic number three. Number three. Syracuse football has tacked on a few more additions to the roster and to the coaching staff. Demetrius Weatherspoon transfers from Howard as an offensive lineman for Syracuse, 6'7", 335 with three years of eligibility. Plus, Robert Wright comes over as a linebacker's coach and sneakily the co-defensive coordinator for the Orange. He comes over from Buffalo. And then breaking news, as we're recording this, the offensive coordinator position becomes official. Jeff Nixon, a 27-year coaching veteran within the collegiate and professional levels coming over. He was most recently the running backs coach for the Giants. So three new names now added to the list. Does one of those stick out to you, Adam? I think all of them do. I'm thrilled with all of these additions because these are the really the two things that I, I think my worries have been about with this team for next season. The offensive line and the in-game coaching decisions. We, we already know what Fran Brown can do recruiting. We know what everyone else can do recruiting on the staff. But now you're bringing in coaches who have shown what they can do on the field. Robert Wright, who comes over from Buffalo, had a top 25 defense in the country. Jeff Nixon, as you said, a 27-year coaching veteran. You're not recruiting at the NFL level. He is in-game coaching at the NFL level. So, so you have two coaches who know how to coach football games. And you get a massive offensive lineman. I mean, this guy from, from Howard is like 6'7", 340 pounds. That is size, and that is size that you really need to compete at the level that this team wants to compete at. Yeah, Weatherspoon sticks out to me particularly because I was such a big I, – I wasn't going to let go of the offensive line because I think Syracuse fans were getting so excited, and the trenches are important in college football. And Kyle Kyle McCord needs protection. And so bringing in a 6'7 guy, he was an all-HBCU player last year, and he has three years of eligibility, so he'll be around for a while. I think that's a huge addition to the offensive line, and he can help out inside. I mean, coaching help is nice. Have you seen the Giants offense recently, Adam? Uh, it's not I, great. But... No, I mean <laughs> – I don't know. He also hasn't got running backs coach. I mean, when Tommy DeVito is, when you're winning games with Tommy DeVito, I'll give you credit. That was. Are we? Is the Tommy DeVito craze over? Are we? we Yeah, it's Tyrod Taylor now. It's it's Tyrod Taylor. But if you're winning games with Tommy DeVito, I give you credit. Uh, Yeah. I mean, we we saw Tommy DeVito. I don't think we thought Tommy DeVito was an NFL quarterback. Uh, no, I mean, the fact that he he's won an NFL game is won multiple NFL games. So, hey, if, if anything, if you told me five maybe years he's ago a better coach that Tommy DeVito would have more wins as an NFL quarterback than Eric Dungy, I wouldn't believe you. And yeah, here we are. Dungy is, I don't think, played a single snap in an actual NFL game, and DeVito chopping it up and getting it done. But Syracuse, so what does that tell you about Jeff Nixon? Uh, coach, I mean, right? Jeff Nixon, the running backs coach, worked well with Saquon Barkley, I guess. But bringing it back to the the experience thing, it is really nice to have, like you said, coaches that have actually put their fingerprints on an actual game. And not saying that Fran Brown hasn't. I'm sure he's made some important decisions during Georgia games. But he's a, a younger guy, and he doesn't have any coordinator experience. And so that's why specifically the Robert Wright uh decision is super big 
is you're not afraid to split a position like defensive coordinator and bring in someone who is called defensive plays. That's a big deal. That is a huge deal. He might be the only guy with play calling experience on this entire, on this entire staff. And, and if anything, this also says a lot. I mean, I think this is kind of diving into the weeds, but I think this says a lot about Elijah Robinson for him to accept this job as a co co coordinator. It, I think it shows kind of a culture thing and a selflessness within this staff that they are going to do what it takes to win. Because you're Elijah Robinson, I mean, with, with how Fran Brown talks about him, and I think in terms of like Fran Brown knowing his way around football, you can't deny that. And him saying that we're going to lose him in a couple of years because he's going to be a, a high-caliber head coach. He probably could have gone a lot of other places to be a defensive coordinator. But he came here and isn't just a solo defensive coordinator. But the co-defensive coordinator, I think, says a lot culture-wise around this team that these coaches are willing to, you know, take that co-name to win. You know, you have your recruiting side and you kind of have your in-game coaching side. I mean, that impresses me a lot. All the lateral moves and demotions have been impressive. You got to do whatever it takes to win. And now that brings me back to Syracuse basketball is head coach Adrian Autry willing to do whatever it takes to win with this team? That's topic number four. Number four. Syracuse basketball is known for having very stagnant, consistent starting lineups throughout the season. I mean, so much so where five, six, seven years ago, I don't know the exact year, Daywan Coleman would play two minutes at the start of each half and sit the rest of the games because Jim Beheim just loved starting the same guys all season, no matter what. And now this year, I understand that there's value in guys coming off the bench, bench and they've embraced the role. And Quadir Copeland and Malik Brown bring energy off the bench. But it, it gets to a point where you cannot afford to be giving up 8, 10 points at the start of each half and then being like, oh, all right, Naheem McLeod, you're coming out of the game. Chris Bell, you're coming out of the game. You just got to start your best players, right? I struggle so much with this. I mean, I, I've been thinking about this probably for the past 48 hours, and I still can't put together what, what I think the starting lineup should be. Because yeah, I so because clear. here's the thing. Because I think about, like, Naheem McLeod and how he started the game against Pittsburgh and blocking those shots, and then, you know what, he just doesn't match up well with Pitt and how they're able to bring their bigs out and shoot threes. There's games where Naheem McLeod works, and I understand why he starts because of how much he can affect it. And having a lineup that is Judah Mintz, J.J. Starling, Quadir Copeland, Benny Williams, Malik Brown, there's no shooting there. You need at least a threat to shoot. You need spacing on offense, and that's what Chris Bell and Justin Taylor bring. They're struggling to shoot right now, but they at least bring spacing. They at least bring a threat to shoot. Quadir Copeland should not be shooting six threes a game like he did against Duke. You need guys who can consistently knock down threes to be on the floor that can be threats to shoot for spacing. But I think there needs to be a change, but I don't think you can take both Bell and Taylor out. And I see why you have Naheem McLeod in there to start in certain games depending on the matchups. It's, I, I think it's so, like, just I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, well, here's the thing. If you were, uh, who, what would be your closing lineup then? Name your five guys that would finish a game. It all depends on the matchups, but understood. If, but in a vacuum, 
probably I, I I mean probably it's it's Mince and Starling are locks. Yes. Those, those two and then I guess it would be probably Bell Williams Brown, I think is my dream. Okay. And so, so Mince, why wouldn't you start with that group? I think you can start with that group, but I think you need one of Bell or Taylor in, and everyone's response is to take those two out. So here, here's my compromise proposal, because a few days ago I wrote an article for the Fizz, and it was Mintz, Starling, Benny Williams, Quadir Copeland, and Malik Brown. There's I'm no going- shooting there. Yeah, but there's no shooting when they play together for the other 15 minutes of the half after the first few, which happens quite a bit. But they're there then when that happens. It's not consistently effective against good teams. Okay. That lineup, that lineup's going to work against Pitt. That lineup's going to work against Niagara, but it's not going to work against Duke or Tennessee or Gonzaga. So here, here's my uh, here's my compromise. Mintz and Starling. I would then start Quadir and Justin Taylor and Malik Brown at center. Because here's the thing. I think if, you can do that. If Chris Bell has a bad shooting game, he provides zero to this team. If Justin Taylor provides nothing, he is still the highest rebounder on this team. Yeah, and, and what 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 Malik Brown is just bringing offensively just overall recently, I mean, you know, almost 30 points against Duke, scoring in double figures each of the last four games. What he, he does offensively is, I think, enough. And then at some point, Justin Taylor has to go on a streak and catch fire, I think. I mean, I, I, li- I think that that's probably the best lineup because, I mean, I think you need either Bell or Taylor. I don't think you can go away from both. I think if you go away from both, then you're beating Pitts, but you have no chance of ever beating a, a good team. You're never going to beat a great team if that's your lineup. And, and I think that that's what this team's goal is. I mean, if you're Syracuse, you can't be just okay with beating up the bad teams of the ACC and losing to the good teams. The goal of Syracuse should be to beat Duke, to beat your UNCs, to beat the Miamis of the world to be a top tier contender in the ACC and just kind of sitting back and saying, you know what, this lineup's going to really mess up Boston college, but it might not work against Duke. You know, that's what, that's not where you can be as a program. You need to be playing guys who you think can get to the level of beating your Dukes. And if you take out and you have no shooters in a lineup, then that's never going to happen. You're never going to beat Duke without three point shooting. No, uh, the, the starting lineup has certainly been, something that Adrian Autry has had to decide this year. He's had a few other decisions he's need he's needed to make, and that brings us to topic number five. Number five. For the first time in forever, Syracuse with a new head coach, Adrian Autry, leading the charge at 10-4 and four Syracuse team early in 2024. And Adam, if you had to give a grade to Coach Autry so far, what would that be? A B minus, I think. B minus that that low. I mean, I think isn't technically a C average. Like technically, like 
back in the day, I think it was. I think B is more average now. I mean, based on my grades right now in school, it's pretty much average. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, hey, I'll tell you what, I'd be happy with a B minus. But I, I think it, I, I'm putting him there because I think anything B and above would mean that you're kind of exceeding expectations and that, say, you would have won one of the games that no one expected you to win. Mm-hmm. But Adrian Archer has won every game that you'd expect and lost every game that you'd expect, which is why I put him at a B minus. By no means bad, but he hasn't done a single thing yet that makes me say, you know what? I love this guy. This is the guy. He's He's been fine. He's been okay. I, I'm and I think a, a B minus puts you there. I'm sitting at about a, a B probably. I think there's uh, – listen, I would have expected Syracuse to lose one of those losable games. I would have expected there to be – a Colgate loss or a Pitt loss or an Oregon loss. And those have, but you shouldn't expect that. That goes back to what I was just saying and what this program should be enough after the missing the tournament for two straight years and bringing in a new head coach. I'm not saying that's my long-term expectation, but to expect some bumps along the path to greatness, I think is fair in the first year of him as a head coach. Yeah. I mean, I think with how much continuity there was though, from the, from the past, it's not like it, it was completely restarting fresh. And in the era of the transfer portal now, you can build a team in one offseason. That's true. Uh, so he had his guys. Like, this wasn't a complete random reset of the program. No, but I, I still want to give him a little bit of credit for winning all the games that you should because not a lot of teams do that. And, I like, as long as Syracuse doesn't lose to Notre Dame or Louisville, then Syracuse – will likely beat all the teams that it should throughout this entire season, which I think there's something to be said for. But digging into like some of the deeper coaching decisions that he's made, I'll give him a lot of credit for the balance of the defenses so far. I think there's been the right amount of man. I think there's been the right amount of zone. I personally disagree with running the zone on out-of-bounds plays. I think that just really opens up shooters for the most part, but... Other than that, I mean, switching defenses for the first time in decades, you really do have to make an authoritative decision there, and I think it's worked out for the most part. Yeah, I, I would have wanted to see the press a little bit more, I think, just because of how successful it's been at times. But other than that, in-game coaching decisions, I think Autry's been good. You know, the, the offense lacked at the start, really, but, you know, as you kind of said with the defensive changes, it kind of had to fall behind, but it picked up lately. You dive into the real nitty-gritty stuff. For me, what I love about Autry as the season's gone on is he's starting to get just more comfortable, I think, as the head coach. He's starting to get more animated, and he's starting to just kind of look like he belongs. At first, he kind of it looked like he was a little bit uncomfortable. He was kind of shy on the bench. Now he has really blossomed. And I think, if anything, that makes me happy because this might sound stupid, but you have to look the part as a, as a as a college basketball head coach. You know, roaming up and down the sidelines. You got to look like you know what you're doing. And Autry has kind of found his way in that. He, Which, he again, has. sounds dumb, but it is important at the end of the day. He really has, and he's composed during press conferences. He's professional. He's really done all the little things right. He tries to eat the mic a little bit during press conferences. But... <laughs> a, a, a little bit. So what would be your one biggest hope? for him to figure out through the rest of the season? I I think a starting lineup change. And I know we just talked about that, and I said I don't know what, what it can be, but I think Adrian 
Grant Autry needs to have one kind of big moment this year where he makes a change and it pays off. Maybe it doesn't even pay off perfectly, but just to have that change, to have that look, I did this in his first year, I think is important. And also a marquee win. I think you got to beat a top 25. There's not going to be that many opportunities, but you got to beat a top 25 team. I think you got to beat like North Carolina at home or Miami. You you need a big win. I I think that's the other thing. I think that big win could very well end up being Clemson at home, the Joe Girard homecoming on February 10th. We'll we'll see what happens, but the next game for Syracuse men's basketball is actually on January 10th. That's a home game versus Boston College. Of course, we'll have coverage of that and every other Syracuse men's basketball game for the rest of the season. Maybe some lacrosse coverage, too, over the next couple of months. But for now, that's Adam Gotkin. I'm Tyler Aiken, and as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.